Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. Before we get into this episode with Pat, firstly, I just want to say my audio sucks dick on this episode. At the time of the recording of this episode, I was in between laptops and uh, my end didn't come out great. Now, it didn't come out too bad. Um, but the fact that I was in between laptops at the time, I didn't realize how shitty the mic setup was on the laptop that I had to use to record this episode with Pat. But the good news is that Pat is crystal clear for the entire episode, and really that's all that matters. And the simple fact of the matter is that the info in this episode was just too good not to post this episode. Now again, my audio isn't that bad, it's just not great. Um, Also, you'll hear me chopping some vegetables for a few minutes about midway through this episode, from about like minutes 27 to approximately minute 38 and um, again this is because i was unaware of uh, how the laptop i was using at the time was functioning with regards to the audio setup so you're going to pick up a bit of sound of me preparing my lunch at the time but uh listen fuck it the conversation was just too good as i said for me not to post this episode and uh again for the most part pat does most of the talking and uh as we know pat's pretty loud and to be honest he drowns out most of the background noise when he's speaking so uh, just for you guys to know too, also since this episode, I have acquired a fairly class mic in terms of quality, which I'm using right now, it's an Audio-Technica, and every episode since uh, this episode with Pat, 
I've used this mic and the audio has come out really good in terms of quality, in terms of my audio and my guest audio on all the episodes I've done since this episode. And this episode was actually done back in July. So anyway, as I said, the info on this was just too good not to post, so I uh, posted it anyway, and that's why you're listening to it right now. So what did we discuss on this episode? Well, on this episode, Pat and I discussed what was new with Pat at the time of the recording of this episode. We discussed mastery. We discussed the use of RPEs. I asked Pat about the withdrawal from completing Mass 2 and how he will consider this for Mass 3. When you get to the peak of Mass 2, the withdrawals after that are pretty bad. I asked Pat how was the Reckoning 2 that he did with Ben House in Mike Ramphones back a few months ago. Pat discusses how we as a species are reducing our allostatic capabilities by making our environments too comfortable and essentially this is turning us into pussies. I asked Pat how was the retreat at Ben House's Wellness Centre in Costa Rica a few months ago. I asked Pat what he was currently reading and studying at the time of this recording. Listen, guys, anytime Pat is on the podcast, it's always going to be a great episode. And this one was no different. I absolutely love talking to this guy. I know nearly everyone loves listening to this guy. He's an absolute legend. I hope you really enjoy this episode. And let's get into it. Davidson, we're on. Yeah. We are on. We're recording. So it's just a fucking episode where we can talk about anything you want. So. Fill us in on what has been going on since we last spoke. We haven't spoken since May, and it's now almost August, just the end of July. You've been fucking traveling like a madman, delivering seminars. Um, yeah. Is, is Mass 3 still in the works? Fill us in on what's been going on. Yeah. Um, well, since you brought up Mass 3, like, yeah, I, I definitely need to start writing it. You know, my, my process is, um, is I, I usually have to, like, play around with different little iterations of, of what I think it's going to be in my own training. And in, in putting training plans together for other people uh, to kind of see like what works, not, not just from a result standpoint, but just purely from like a logistics standpoint as well. So I'm, uh, I'm currently kind of tinkering with some different, um, different strategies of how to put things together. Uh, in, in some ways, I'm, like what, what I'm going to do with Mass 3 is it's not going to be just a 16-week training plan. It's going to be a full-on, year-long plan that people can follow. Um, and it's, it's just going to be one that I think will incorporate um, a little bit more in the way of, of like rehabilitative, or, or really, I guess the right word is prehab type of modalities built into it, and um, just an intelligent way of being able to build up and have like built-in deloads as well. So you know, what, what I'm trying to do with these mass books is to consistently make them a little bit smarter. You know, I think that the first one was just kind of like the most idiotic thing you could possibly put on paper and get people to follow. Um, the second one was, was a much smarter model, but uh, the sustainability of it probably isn't, you know, uh, in, like it's, it's just a really tough program. Like you couldn't do that thing year round. Um, and, and I think mass three is just something that will, will be one that, that kind of features that, that sort of ebb and flow of, of harder periods and other times where it's a little bit more in the way of maintenance. And, um, and it's just something that, that allows people to be able to, to continue going. You know, the most common question I get is, is what do I do when I finish this program? And, um, and it's kind of like, well, that's, that's a great question. There's a lot to that. There's so much to that question. 
that I think I probably need to write another book on it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my, my primary thought is, is this needs to be just more. It needs to be, it needs to have more to it, more meat and potatoes. It needs to have uh, different options as well. Like, uh, I guess I was surprised at how, how popular these books have become in some ways. And, and I get certain questions re repeatedly, like from people that try to do this stuff in a commercial gym where it's just impossible to do something like the 3030. And, um, you know, my initial answers being me was just like, well, I did you a favor because I pointed out to you that your gym sucks and you need to go someplace new. Um, you're, you're welcome. Um, but you know, it's like, I, I'm going to do my best to try to build out options for people that are, that have logistics, um, logistical problems. Like, Hey, there's, there's just no way I can do this 30, 30. I, I've had enough people bring that up to me where it's like, you know, I, I get upset. I usually am pretty reactive and I'm like, why can't you just figure out how to do another, like, just understand the concept concept and figure out how to do the same concept within the confines of your own thing. Like just don't time it, um, you know, whatever. But I'll, 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 uh, what I've found is that people respond better to if I just simply uh, spell it out for them word for word for word. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, but I haven't actually started writing the book yet. Um, but my goal is to finish it um, hopefully at some point before the spring of 2019. You'll probably just end up doing like a weekend job again, just fucking 48 hours straight. Well, I think that's, that's one, that's something that you can do if, if like, cause I had already written that program out, like that, that mass one, you know, that was, that was um, definitely a different animal. This one will, will be more, more, in, more time mm -hmm. intensive. You know, it's like, um, you know, one of, you know, you ask like what's what's been going on, and and I feel like I've just been like pulled into like a continuing education whirlpool in some ways. Um, but you know, I the the biggest thing that I've done since the last time we spoke was the Costa Rica trip, and um, and that was just like really amazing. But um, you know, one of one of the speakers down there, uh, Eric Otter, who's you know he's he works with the Memphis Grizzlies and. And quite frankly, he's, he's the smartest guy I've, I've ever met in this field. And it's not even, I don't even think it's, it's close to tell you the truth. Um, you know, he, he gave. He's only, he's only like in his late twenties, isn't he? I think he's in his early thirties now, but um, you know, he's. He, he interned with Bill before. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, um, he's got a special brain. Like I've just never encountered anybody with the sort of brain that he has. Um, but he he uh, he talked about some of uh, Tim Gabbett's work um, mm -hmm. with with load load monitoring and and just this this notion of you know what what typically injures people are these um, these load spikes that take place and and I'm definitely going to try to um, really work the math out for how the load management should work with Mass Three so that you you really don't put people into these these situations where the reason that they're getting injured is because of ineffective load management. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've seen enough people track the volume from, from mass two. And, and there's, there's really not too many times where the, the loads like load really spikes that much. But I think that what can get people is um, some people will like take a week off for instance, and then they'll try to get right back into the program at the same loading that they were doing 
the week before, like the, the previous week before they took that week off. Mm. And, and by taking that full week off or something along those lines, they've, they've now decreased their tolerance for loading. And that first week back is this enormous load spike. And that's where people are typically getting hurt. Um, So people need some sort of a psychological break oftentimes. So that's where that deload fits in. And and then just giving people like a a reasonable plan of re-ramping back up after a deload, I think is important. Um, Because I think that's where where most people, that's where people get caught is... um, is something comes up in life, it takes them out of their normal routine, and they don't, they don't appreciate the fact that they're not prepared for what they were previously prepared for. And they try to go right back into what they were previously prepared for, and their system is just in, incapable of handling that kind of stress. Do you think, will, will an auto-regulatory component be a part of mastery? Like, will you start prescribing, like, RPEs or anything like no, that? No, that's, that's not my game. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of auto-regulation, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just don't like the subjectivity of it. I, I, I could probably see mountains of evidence that, that tell me it's the best thing in the world. And it's just, it's just not something that I'm comfortable with programming, to tell you the truth. Um, mm. It's, uh, I, I think that there's other ways to slice it. Like I've had enough, enough success with writing a lot of programs with never including it in where I haven't seen the need to start putting it into my, my program design. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and maybe I'm doing it like, uh, through secondary channels. Like typically when I, when I program in something like, a you know, three sets of 10 kind of workout, like those first couple of sets can't be a 10. You know, there's no way or you'd never be able to finish the last set. Exactly. Um, you know, so it's, it's probably built in there in some way, shape or form without me even realizing it. But um, like I said, I've never really used it. And, um, and I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's as seemingly as accurate as the, like a Borg scale for aerobic exercise. It, it might look like somebody might just need to present it to me in a way that changes my mind. But, um, I think uh, Mike Tashir and Eric Helms would be two good resources, right? particularly Tashir because like he's been using RPE in his programs for about ten years, I'd say now. But yeah. uh, like there is discussions there on it in terms of um, like who who is it really uh, most applicable to, and like from from what most people suggest is you're looking at people who at least are intermediate to more advanced because they are their subjective scores are basically closer to like what is object what what is objectively actually going on whereas if you give it to a beginner they're like oh that was a, a nine and it's like let's do the next set all out in the same way they got like fucking you know they yeah. got they got like 20 reps on a, on a set that they were only going to get eight reps on it's like are you sure it was a nine the last time whereas yeah. like, you know you you ask a fucking experienced person and that you're like how, how many reps did in the tank there and i go i absolutely only had one good technical one left and two shotgun ones to the head one left mm-hmm so, but yeah, so it seems to be more so with someone who has a bit of training experience behind them. But uh, another question I want to ask you there with Mass 3, just from your experience with 1 and 2, and because th- this has kind of happened to me too, and I suppose we'll get into probably talking maybe about neurotransmitters and dopamine off the back end of this. But uh, after you do like your 16 weeks, and, and we've spoken about like the dopaminergic uh, impact and effect of something of something like mass, uh, mass one and mass two, and just any type of program that really gives you that big fucking dopamine response and that big reward response. How how have you found like the sort of aftermath of going through something like mass two? Because 
The reason I ask that is when I did like a 15 week absolute torturous training program at Christmas, like my motivation for training after that just went down the tank then. Like it was almost like I was coming off a withdrawal drug, you know what I mean? So is that something you're yep. going to like program in a mastery if you're talking like a year long program, like where you're saying there's going to be down phases built into this to build you back up again? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I've experienced that. I think everybody has, like everybody's, you, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't get into purpose, like people, people need to feel like they've got a purpose mm. uh, or, or it's life is not particularly pleasant for people when they don't feel like they've got a purpose. And, um, and, and it's just hard to keep like a singular purpose going in the modern day for, for that long. So, um, you know, I, and to me, it, it all comes down to a story. Like we, we, we learn through story and analogy. Mm. We're motivated by story and analogy. And if you just keep hearing the same story over and over again, it gets, it gets boring. So you ultimately need to, to change the story. You need to change the song to keep people interested. And, um, law of accommodation, man. It's, it's a universal law. Yeah. So it's, it just kind of like, um, you know, I think that one of the reasons I like competing in strongman was, you know, you, you do a show every two months, give or take. Uh, and you got eight weeks to train for this new show and it's different events and it's kind of like, Oh, this is interesting. So it, it's, it seems like to me that that's what it comes down to is, is can you find new purpose? Can you reinvent yourself? And, and when it comes to training that that's difficult because it's sort of like, well, you know, if you really want to get good at something, you have to kind of keep doing that thing. Um, and, and if you look at like really advanced programmer programs for like Olympic athletes, like they, it's, it's like groundhog day for them. They're, they sort of do the same thing over and over again. Um, and maybe they just have special, you know, uh, personality traits or, or things like that where they can, they can continue to just grind away doing the same thing over and over day after day. Um, but my, my question is always like, how much of a change do you need? And, and from what I've seen, it, it, it only has to really be fairly minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to really keep people's interest, but maybe the way that you frame that change is the important thing. Yeah. And um, and to me, it's like good good coaches have to be good storytellers, and um, and that's that's what I'm going to try to do with the book is more than anything, just just present present people with like, hey, we're in this kind of a block, and and the goal of this block is is this, and um, and if I make the meaning of those blocks truly meaningful then I, I think that, that that sort of takes care of that stuff for the most part. Um, you know, the hard part is like, hey, if you go through this, this whole thing, like this, if you do a year-long program, like that's a major investment. You know what I mean? Like that's, so, so what happens when that thing's done? Like maybe I'm just buying myself a little bit more time to come up with the next one. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky. Like, it, like with drugs, for instance, it's almost like you've, you've gotten a taste for this thing, like this, this really intense feeling and now that feeling is removed from you and you feel lost. Like, well now what? Like, you know, it's almost like you either do more or you kind of like pack it in and die or something like that. (laughs) Um, But ultimately like, you know, it's, it is not drugs in, in totality. Like it is still like, you know, this, this uh, drive towards self-development and self-fulfillment and, um, and, and it's just, it's not easy to do that without, without some kind of a underlying purpose that you're working towards. That's, 
And I, I just think the more specific you can make that, uh, and, and like, um, not just like specific, but also like clearly identified, like there needs to be like almost role clarity within the, the purpose that you're shooting for to make you go for it, uh, with, with appropriate drive. I mean, I haven't had that right now in my own training. Um, and, and it's like, I miss that. And I, I'm, I'm seeing it more clearly because of what's almost been taken away from me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's not like I'm not working hard. It's just that I'm not, I'm not as excited about training as I have been before where there's like some big looming thing that I'm trying to get or, or some underlying purpose behind what I'm, I'm shooting for. I'm, I'm in the exact same place right now. Like it's st I'm still like, I'm still training every day, but I'm sort of in a very similar to yourself. And it's not as if I don't put work in when I'm there, but it's just like, uh, it's not the same as, uh, it's just not the same as when I had that 15 week block. Cause it was just, I think again, cause when I, when I had that 15 week block and the team going through it, like I took, I took a bit from mass. I took a little bit from density training. Um, I suppose it's just, it's a delayed gratification doing that. Like I, I purposely put this out from the start and went through it like and executed it beautifully and then got to the top of the mountain. And then it's just kind of like, Oh fuck, now what do I do? Yeah. It's, I'll tell you, that's the most common message I get from people that have gone through mass or mass two. Like what, what's next? What do I do after this? And, um, and I, ne I never have a particularly good answer. Mass three. Just wait. Yeah. I mean, that's hopefully the answer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, um, it's, it's, I think that's part of, part of the process with this. Like you got to get bored. You know, there's, there's a lot of value in, in boredom. Oh, that's uh, true. We, yeah. Literally, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the opposite. You know, you wouldn't know what fucking not being bored was if there wasn't periods of boredom. Like again, we spoke about this all the time. It's, it's, it's a yin yang. You have to have yeah. contrast in everything you do. That's why you have to have some downtime to have some uptime. Like, I mean, Dan John speaks about this, but you know, the, the park bench versus the, the, the bus bench workouts, you know, where, you know, essentially saying like, there's, there's certain times in your life where like your training is unbelievably productive, but he's like, you can't go like that forever. So he's like, there's times where your training just needs to be like, you're just basically checking in, you know, checking mm -hmm. in, checking out and just, just putting your shift in for a period of time. And then that beautiful period reappears again. Like he's like, you can't have it all one way, you know? Yeah. And, and even for like writing a program, like I, I need to become really sick of what I'm doing where I can't stand it uh, mm. to, to motivate me enough to like really, you know, sit down and put in the work because that's, that's all it comes down to is, you know, if you're going to write a really good program, you're going to have to put in some, some hard work to accomplish yeah. that. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, it's almost like, I, I guess where I'm at right now is, is I know that there's a mountain of work sitting in front of me and I'm being a bit of a child about it where it's like, I don't want to do it, you know? Uh, I don't want to sit down and, and like grind away at it at this present moment in time. But the fact that my training is lackluster is probably going to be the biggest motivating thing to force me to do it. Um, so that's, that's, that's basically where that's at. And, you know, uh, aside from that, like other things going on, like, um, t tell me how, t tell me how, um, cause I haven't spoke to you since, uh, since you've done this. Tell me how, um, the reckoning part two went. Oh wow! It has been a while, hasn't she? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was just coming up when we last spoke. Yeah, so you know, I I think that one went really well. Um, you know, Mike Mike Ramphone, um, was was really happy with um, 
with the information that Ben and I brought to that one. And I, I feel like, um, you know, with, with both Reckoning 1 and Reckoning 2, like, with, you know, I didn't really see what Ben was working on before, um, beforehand. I didn't see what Bill was putting together or Doug was putting together for their slides. And then on the days of the presentation, it was kind of like, oh, this is going to work really well. Like, this, these, are, these are really melding into very uh, seamless, uh, like, the, the transitions between my, my presentation and the other guy's presentations are really nice. Like, these are, these are very complimentary of each other. And I feel like it was, it was the same thing for Reckoning, too. I mean, um, you know, I, I was really presenting on... Um, you know, the, the, uh, the history of our species and, and like what makes us human versus like the other pathway of evolution that, that kind of is like chimpanzee. And, um, and also just like the, like throughout our history of being homo sapiens, like what were our lives like and how much movement did we get? And, you know, long story short, it's kind of like the modern world is we're, we're, we're just like comfort seeking animals. Like it's programmed into our genetics. Like it's, Life was hard for the most part for our species, and we're trying to conserve energy to survive on this planet. And we're we're like fat mammals too. We're fat apes uh, compared to other other um, you know animals. And and there's a couple reasons why we're fat. Number one, like the brain needs this constant source of energy. It can never not have energy constantly readily available for it, or you're in big trouble. And the other one is that we did seek this pathway of becoming these endurance running animals. I, there's no other animal on the planet that can beat us in a marathon. Um, and, and having that supply of fat available is fantastic. If you're going to choose to be a, a, a low intensity, long duration um, specialist. So uh, we, we've got like, you know, if you're going to, to choose this pathway of becoming a fat animal, um, the only way you're going to store fat is, is really by, by seeking a caloric surplus, um, like reducing your expenditure as much as possible. Um, and, and that gets coded into your genes at a very, very deep level. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're, it, it is surprising in many ways that not all of us are like 600 pounds and, um, and, and like these giant drains on society. Like uh, we, we're just an, an, an interesting animal from our evolutionary history. Like, being a biped, um, living as long as we do, like, you know, there's, there's so many, most animals, as soon as they're past their reproductive uh, period, like, they just are, like, programmed to die. But, like, you know, grandparents, for instance, are very valuable in tribal society. They can, they can look after children while people in their prime are out gathering calories, uh, hunting, hunting or gathering. Um, you know, it takes takes forever for our, our young to be able to reach maturation. And, um, and our, our, our children are very uh, problematic in the wild. You know what I mean? Like little kids are a real nuisance. Like they're noisy, they're useless, and they're like that for a long, long time. Um, so like it's, it's just really interesting, but we needed that. We need that time to be able to grow our brains. You know, we, we chose this pathway of, of, um, you know, not having a tremendous number of offspring, putting a lot of resources into growing our offspring, um, growing our offspring with enormous brains, which are incredibly energy costly, forcing you to, um, you know, need a tremendous amount of stored fat. 
uh, living for a really long time. Um, you know, it's, it, we're just a very interesting animal uh, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, just appreciating the fact that most of the things that we're suffering from in our modern life are due to the fact that the way that we live today is so dramatically different from the way that we lived, uh, you know, throughout the history of our species being on this planet. Um, yes, we're the only mammal that can control our external environments, like our fucking temperature, our light. Yeah, yeah, and and that's you know that's like one of the big points I was trying to make is that we are like piece by piece reducing um, allostatic uh, activation. Like we are, that's that's basically what we're doing. Like. Um, you know, we're, we're seeking comfort from the perspective of, listen, like anytime you have any threat to homeostasis, you can, you can obviously kick in an allostatic mechanism to be able to regulate the system, but there's a cost associated with that and it's uncomfortable. So it, it like whatever you look at in terms of the way that we've reframed our environments, it's literally some methodology to reduce the cost of having to kick in an allostatic mechanism. Explain, um, explain just for listeners what you mean by allostatic mechanism. Oh, I think, sure. I, I think most people not understand what homeostasis is. It just means the body's in equilibrium, essentially. Yeah, so it's, it's um, you know, I think that what's important to recognize with homeostasis is that it's not, not every system in the body is, is a homeostatic variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's not that many. Like, you have, um, you know, things, things along the lines of like pH, temperature, um, oxygen, like partial pressure of oxygen, uh, blood glucose. Those are, those are measurements that can't change much at all. And, and if they do change um, outside of these small windows that they can operate in, you're, you're, you're yeah, or you're dead. You know what I mean? Like uh, if your temperature spikes, by, you know, what is it? Like, if you go to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, you're, you're like, you're going to die. Um, that's not that much of a, of a change. Like, we're operating within this, like, window of, like, you know, seven degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pH, I, I, pH is even fucking, like, narrower, isn't it? Like, you know? Yeah, it's super tight. It's unbelievably tight. Um, you know, partial pressure of oxygen is, is, is also, I mean, these are all, like, these big, these big players, you know what I mean? Like uh, when you think about like, just like gas, acid, um, sugar, uh, temperature, I mean, they, they make sense. Like these things make sense. Those things will kill your ass uh, faster than anything else possibly could on this planet. And then you get, for, you get those bodybuilders injecting insulin and you're like, and they have a clue what they're at and you're like, what the fuck? Do you realize what you're fucking messing with there? If you fuck up that insulin injection, you're going to a coma, baby. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, so your body has all of these other systems that are, that exist to be able to make sure that those select homeostatic, um, variables never change that much. So, you know, if, if you're starting to get hot, you can start sweating, you know, if if you, you can, it will engage your thirst response. Um, you know, there's, there's just a million things like, you know, insulin, cortisol, those are, uh, or glucagon, like those are things that you're able to kick in as allostatic mechanisms to be able to make sure that homeostasis is maintained and, and not, not disrupted to the point where, where it, um, it goes outside of those boundaries. And, 
you know, um, it's, it's sort of like uh, Talib's book, like, like being anti-fragile is this notion that, um, you know, like these things that, that threaten your homeostasis are, are stressors. And, and by responding to stress, you're ultimately improving yourself as an organism. You're making yourself more anti-fragile. So it's, it's kind of like if when you remove the stress, which is what we're doing, you know, I never have to be cold. Like I can wear a jacket, you know, I never have to be hot. I can live in air conditioning. You know, um, I, I never have to be uncomfortable. I have this comfortable bed. Uh, you know, if, if my water temperature in my shower is not optimal for like three seconds, I get angry because all of a sudden I have to kick in this allostatic mechanism. I don't want to work too hard from an exercise standpoint because it's making me tired. Like blah, blah, blah. Like all of these things, like we're just slowly removing uh, all of our allostatic processes from being kicked in. And by doing that, we are becoming not only less anti-fragile, we're losing our resiliency. We're just becoming like, like incredibly fragile animals um, that have no ability to regulate our own selves in the face of an environment that's in flux. So I believe the word is pussies. That's, that's the word. That, that is the word. You know, so uh, it's, it's, um, it's like trying to appreciate the, the depth and breadth to which we've actually gone in terms of like, you know, softening our worlds and, um, and how different that is compared to the history of our species. Um, and, and really like Ben was able to go in on a lot of mechanisms of, of hypertrophy and also dispel a lot of the, the mythos on hypertrophy. And, and I do think that, you know, like, um, when it comes down to training knowledge, uh, it's, it's hard because I feel like both you and I, like we've, we've learned a lot of things from, from athletic development training systems. Mm. And, and a lot of times discussion of hypertrophy is not the top thing in those, in those, in those worlds. Like they're oftentimes talking about movement, mobility, stability, uh, rate of force development, um, you know, being able to move in multiple planes, all that sort of stuff. And in a lot of ways, like in the performance world, the topic of hypertrophy has gotten downplayed or poo-pooed in a lot of ways. Like, and, and it kind of makes sense. Like if you look at a lot of sports, like you don't need to have like exceptional levels of hypertrophy to be a great tennis player or basketball player. Um, you know, we oftentimes think about it like from the perspective of maybe football or wrestling or things like that. But, um, you know, overall, like, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, if we are going to be putting athletes into a weight room, you know, what is the, what's the goal that we're looking for with, with having them lift weights? Like, you know, I think muscle mass is definitely one of those goals that's, that's, um, that's actually, like, quantitative. Like, we can measure it. It does have a tremendous number of benefits associated with it. Um, and also, like, if we're outside of the world of athletes, just looking at the general population, um, you know, if we're trying to maintain health uh, th throughout the lifespan as long as possible, like, uh, actually, like, giving them as much muscle mass as possible yeah. is, is, seems to be about as important as it gets. Yeah, so, definitely, um, definitely for the general population. But one, like, this, this is just going with the extreme, though, but, like, uh, 
obviously that there is a diminishing return because like we're not talking about this, but like if you're not like like body build and size, that actually can be, that's detrimental to longevity because of the pressure the heart has to fucking constantly pump against. But in terms of just like keeping lean muscle mass and longevity, it's definitely a fucking it's definitely a key thing for for the general population. So is to hang on to their muscle mass for as long as they can. Yeah, I think um, you know I think the literature has to catch up with some things. Like I think it's probably some kind of a U-shaped graph. I just don't know how many studies have actually looked at people that are at the extreme, like, right end of that graph, where they're just, um, you know, they've got so much muscle mass that it's almost like a problem. But I don't know how many of those people are ever getting to that point without uh, drugs being involved. Yeah, yeah. I'd say they're, they're probably inferring that off fucking heart studies done off because there is a lot of literature out there on that, that were fucking concentric hypertrophy, that pathological heart hypertrophy that can happen. I, I probably again with with drugs that that's um that's something that would happen and you know I, I can remember um even in in grad school doing some stuff on comparison of athletes heart versus pathological uh cardiac hypertrophy mm. and um you know it's whenever you've got some kind of pathological car, uh, concentric hypertrophy it's always an asymmetrical hypertrophy like you'll have uh regions that have thickened tremendously and other regions that are fairly thin yeah. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, also just Ben kind of getting into like, you know, what are the actual mechanisms that are important versus the ones that we've kind of like played up in the past and like, you know, essentially kind of showing the, the hormone hypothesis as being something that we, we have enough evidence at this point to probably say that, that like the hormonal response to resistance training is is uh not that important really like mechanical tension is 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 the most critical variable mm-hmm. um and you know having like a like a metabolic effect being like a a backdoor pathway into hypertrophy yeah um, i know that the the like i know sean tells obviously the classic paper you know so the thing that came from that was mechanic tension metabolic stress and overall muscle damage but i hear the muscle damage thing is now being brought into a bit of question i know meta Helsingman's to the presentation where he was sort of questioned like is muscle damage actually as important as we thought but definitely yeah and it's muscle damage not not important and probably actually not not something that's desirable yeah Um, apparently excess muscle damage interferes with glucose uptake doesn't it it just um it interferes with a lot of mechanisms involved with uh with actually like the hypertrophy mechanisms but it's uh yeah it's just one that like Def, like I think it actually has the backwards effect from what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. So can, yeah, can we, is Ben gonna write the nutrition part for mastery? I yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, um, I'd love like whatever he wants to include. Uh, I'm I'm always down with that. Like as much as we can possibly get. Right, so get into Costa Rica. Tell me more about Eric Goddard because uh, it's funny. I, I only just interviewed Aaron Davis on the podcast there uh, it's not out yet it'll be out next month but uh, we, had a, sure. we had a great uh, conversation and um you know eric obviously came up in conversation too and i'm like you know because i'm aware of who eric is, who eric honor is um and like I've, I've heard his name and i i i know that he interned at ifast and just every time his name comes up i was like this guy's a fucking genius and i actually have a presentation he did at um art horns um seminar mm. that, that he used to do uh, when when he was up in boston at northeastern so yeah, BSMPG. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen Eric present to, and obviously you know super smart guy, and I'm definitely intrigued by him. 
Um, so yeah, tell us, tell us what the last Costa Rica trip was like and, and what did you take away from, from Eric? Yeah, and you know, it, it's, it's always kind of like you have to have discretion whenever you're, um, you know, because he works for an NBA team and like, uh, you know, a lot of that information was, was uh, you know, it, it's kind of like it, it wasn't filmed or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't have access to those slides. So it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's stuff that you have to be uh, conservative in terms of talking about. I think that there's like big notions that, that other people are, are um, you know, where he's sharing information that other researchers are talking about. I think that's all good. But like some of the specifics are things that I would, I would probably not necessarily share because, you know, he's, he's going out of his way to, um, you know, to come talk to us and tell us about his experience. But I know that he expects some discretion and with that yeah, as well. That's no, um, that's no fault of him. Also, that's the organization. But just a side note, I fucking hate that idea about those organizations. It fucking drives me nuts. Because I've been to organizations yeah. where like, can we get a photo? You know, just get a photo of, like with your mate. And they're like, I actually can't. It's like, don't tell me because you have the top on or in the game. For fuck's sake. Yeah. Such I know. It's, it's not like they're uh, defending the free world or something. Like it was gas one time because I was I was at a facility one time and I was taking some photos like and someone came up to me goes can't take photos of these guys these are these are professional baseball players and I'm like I don't I couldn't name one of them I couldn't name one of them. <laughs> I, I, I I was taking pictures of the facility not of the players and I'm right like, right I, I couldn't give a fuck who any of these players are like he was there saying oh like these guys are million dollars like nothing to me I have no interest in baseball <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm taking pictures of this world class facility. Like there was another time too, there was some MMA fighters in there, and like I was taking photos, and like your man goes, "You know, do you know what that is over there?" And I was like, "No," and like he was any more, he was any more because he was like, "You can't be taking photos. Do you know what that is over there?" And I was like, "No, the clue who he is." I still don't remember, and I still don't remember the name he told me. I was like, "Really? That's uh, that's great." I'm the I'm the same way, man. Like even in even in strongman and mixed martial arts, like sports that I participated in, I don't really follow it after the fact, and I don't care. And um, yeah, much I'm, I'm much more interested in like coaches and facilities. Um, and no, like, I'm, I'm just more interested in getting them ready for the sport. But uh, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Because <laughs> um, uh, John John Goodwin, a, a former lecturer on my master's course, he's the same. Like he, he's like an absolute genius when it comes to biomechanics skill acquisition. And he said one day in the presentation, he goes, "It is really well." He's got a like, lovely English accent. I'm not going to try and do it because I'm butcher. But he just basically goes, he goes. He goes, I, I like football, but I don't like watching it. I like watching the players move. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was just so funny, like, you know, because his knowledge when it comes to movement is just outrageous. But all right, so if you can't touch on uh, the Ericsson, what, what, was, what was the last Costa Rica trip like? What did you take away from it? And who else you know, was or, or what, what were the attendees like? And uh, just basically tell us how the whole experience was. When was that, by the way? What, was that in June? Was it? That was in June, yeah. Um, it was wild, man. Like, it, like... What, it, what's like his, I've been, what, what's his new setup like? Sorry to interrupt you. What's his new setup like? He's got like rooms there now, and all. He built some stuff. Oh yeah, man. Like there's, you know, he's got his house that's like up there, and then it's like a, it's like a compound now. It's it's pretty wild. It's changed a lot since since I was there a year ago. Wow. You know, he's he's built. Um, you know, there's like dorms almost. Like, uh, you know, I was in a room with three people. I, uh, me and, and your boy Rua were, were roommates. Um, oh, Rua, Rua, he was there. Rua, he was yeah, Rua was down there. Uh, he was like my roommates were, were Marcos Rodriguez and Rua. Uh, Marcos is uh, another another uh, trainer at Hype, and um, 
you know, he's he's like he's he's really good friends with like Mike Isretel and some of the guys from Renaissance Periodization. Mm -hmm. And um and like I, I love Marcos. He's like he's one of the best human beings I've ever met. Like next time you're you're in, in town, I gotta introduce you to this guy because uh you know, he's he's like he was like the rock star of the whole trip, man. Like uh he's hey, just just so you know, I've never actually been in town, so it would be the first time. Oh really? Okay, yeah, you gotta you gotta come hang out in New York sometime. Um, but yeah, there were there were a total of thirty of us. Uh, we had a few guys from Hype. It was me, um, Marcos, Vinny, uh, who I think have you met Vinny Brandstatter before? I don't know. I don't think I have now. No, I mean he's like I I've known Vinny since the first day I got to Peak, and um, so I've known Vinny now for four years, and like we trained together, and uh, Vinny's a great guy. You know he's. He hasn't really written anything or put anything out there, but super smart, really good coach, like very uh, hungry to keep learning, like mm. awesome, awesome dude. Uh, we had another guy, Seth Regani, too. So, I mean, we, we've got a lot of good coaches at, at Hype and um, people that are, that are continuously pushing for education. Um, number of guys from New York overall on the trip. And, and then there were, there were a ton of other guys from all over the place. There were, you know, like, like uh, Chris Chase and Eric Otter from the Grizzlies. Uh, Zach Couples was down there for this. Seth Obers. Wow, wow. what a yeah. room, man. Unbelievable. I'm actually, I'll be speaking to Zach soon enough as well now. I'm getting him on the podcast. He's another. Um, oh, he's, he's phenomenal. You got to have him do. You've, you've seen the movie Predator, obviously. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, his Jesse the Body Ventura is unbelievable. Like, I mean, his Arnold is incredible too, but like. Man, his his Jesse the body is is like on another level. Um, you know, there there were just like a ton of people, like uh, some some folks from that like Austin, Texas region with uh, like Dave Rasco. Uh, he was down there for this. Tio Ledesma, like uh, you know, like Dave Rasco called it Avengers: Infinity Wars because we just had so many people from so many different disciplines down there um and the presentations were unbelievable man like what did you, you know, i presented on my my new like biomechanics model for oh. for designing training stuff and i don't know if you've seen that stuff on on um simplyfaster.com i wrote a two-piece article series for them um, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, i'll stick it in the show notes for this though when this goes out but uh is it is it much different from 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 the um seminar on your own website where you go it's, through the, the big the big patterns it's very similar. It's kind of like if I had to take the most important parts of rethinking the big patterns, as well as the newer things that I've been thinking about for, for how to organize this stuff, and I jammed it into like two articles, that's basically what, what those two articles are. And like the presentation I did down there was sort of a condensed version of it. Yeah. You know, like, like long story short, it's kind of like, I just think that, um, that we have to do a, like, I think that categorical thinking is the most useful form of, of thinking and managing and creating workable systems. And, um, and for me, like, this is just the most accurate categorical description of, of how to program in all of the various ways that we can move athletes in a weight room at like, um, athletic development environment. Like in looking at the environment that we put people in with the typical gyms and fields that we have for our training disposal, this is, this is like your playbook, so to speak, uh, put into uh, buckets, the actual buckets that exist. Sweet. Um, how, how many people were there? 
There were 30 people for this. Is Rory working in Hype with you or is he in another facility? Rory is in another facility. Um, okay. Yeah, he's at a place called The Right Fit. Um, but, you know, it's like in New York, like we see each other when we go other places for the most part. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. you never see each other until you go, uh, you know, uh, three, 3,000, 4,000 miles away to another country. I know, I know. He, uh, we used to work together as well in, in a facility back in Ireland, you know that? Yeah, yeah, he mentioned that as well. And yeah, I think he's that, su- super cool dude. He really is, and um, you know, it was like, yeah, we had uh, we had some. I got to send you some videos too. Like we we just had a great room, man. We had a great time. Like so, it's it's like hard to you know encapsulate all of all of what that trip was um, because it was like you know I think we were down there for eight days, nine days, something wow. like that, wow. and um, and like living down there, and um, you know there like like pretty much every day there was a, a phenomenal presenter, at least one, like, you know, we had Ben presenting, Mike T Nelson presenting, Zach couples, Seth Obers, Kyle Dobbs, uh, Eric Otter, Chris chase. Um, I mean like, like you name it, like every day there was just like a stud presenting up in front of the group. And I, I mean, I really think it was the best continuing education experience I've had in a long time. Mm. Um, just from the presenters, like, and that's, that's just like one part of it. You know what I mean? Cause you're just around these people 24 seven. Um, you know, the other part of it is that we all competed in that, um, that Cajun workout from mass Two, the phase two Cajun, that three, three rounds of 2040. Um, you know, we, we were divided up into three teams. Like we had three, three captains. The captains were myself, uh, Ben and Kyle Dobbs, like, before the trip even happened, we had a draft where we selected each, each member. Like, you know, like I drafted my team, Ben drafted his team, Dobbs drafted his team. And we had so much trash talking back and forth between the teams going into it. Um, and it was, you know, to see, like, who could total the most amount of weight in the Cajun. We also had, like, a dodgeball competition and an ultimate Frisbee competition to decide the overall team winner. Um, so like the Cajun was just savage, like, especially down in that jungle heat, um, doing that. And, uh, it was, it was a great experience overall, except for, for one dude, um, this guy, Michael Lexner from Massachusetts, like he actually ended up dropping a trap bar on his big toe. Oh. And like, it was a 500 pound trap bar upside down. He was, it was at a crazy angle and, um, you know, he's about six foot five, came right down and, and basically like guillotined his big toe. Uh, he lost, he lost half of his big toe on his right foot. Holy uh, fuck. That was on day two, you know, like, or really like day one that we were all there. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was the nastiest thing I've ever seen in person, man. Like it really did look like, uh, <clears throat> like a guillotine came down and cut his toe off and like, it like flopped forward. Like, like if somebody flipped a quarter or something, it like popped off. Uh, like, you know, I was about I was about like four or five feet away from him, just watching the whole thing happen. That's um, nasty. And did he did he like what happened? Did he stay for the rest of the eight days or what happened? Yeah, he he stayed for the rest of the trip. Like he, uh, legend, you know, he legend, be, legend. That's what I wanted to hear. Legend. Yeah, man. Like they had to. They took him off to the hospital. Like there was a group that went with him, like Ben and a couple other dudes. Um, you know, they he ended up like getting. They brought him to one place. They took him like in an ambulance to another place. They had a surgery on it. 
Um, and I think the whole thing cost them like 300 bucks or something. Like, it, like it, and it's, it's crazy how they did a great job from a medical standpoint, but the cost was so much less than anything we were used to that it was like, are yeah. you kidding? Like, that's, did, how is that did, possible? Did he, did he get his toe reattached or did he lose it? Or? No, he, lo- he basically like lost half a toe. Um, yeah, like it was the craziest start to this thing. Uh, so yeah, it was just, you know, like this trip was like, and, but like the, the kind of spirit that he brought to the whole thing, like he, he really kept such a positive attitude. Like, man, I'll tell you, like if I like lost half my big toe and I was in as much pain as this guy was and like as decapacitated, like I would have been in the worst mood imaginable, man. Like I I just don't think I would have had the same same positive outlook that he managed to bring throughout the whole trip. That's mental, um, for, that's mental fortitude for you, isn't it? It's, it's just another form, another form of strength. You know, we're all talking about strength, 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 but we're only able to talk about physically. I mean, mental is a whole other fucking game. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's uh, like, this trip combined, like, the most savage sort of training experience, or, or like, it was more, it was competition, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, like, like, just brilliant speakers. Like, the quality of the presentations was better than any conference I've ever been to. And on the flip side, the highest level of juvenile, moronic, nonstop, like, stupidity uh, that you could possibly have on all of the downtime. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was fantastic. Like, it was, it was basically, like, everything I would ever want. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and it, but I'll tell you, like, even beyond that, like there was some incredible bonding and just people actually being vulnerable, um, and like getting to know each other on levels, like I'm not even comfortable with, like, I like to just be a complete, uh, juvenile moron the whole time, but there were definitely points during which like people were pushed to like actually be pretty real. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, and that was, that was pretty cool. And it's just sort of like, you know, (laughs) Like, I feel like there are some people in our industry that, that put themselves on a pedestal and try to act like they're, you know, they're removed or better than other people. And I, I definitely won't throw any names out there, but, you know, I, I don't understand that necessarily. Like, the people that I've found that I get along with better than anybody else that I've ever met across the spectrum of humanity have been other coaches and trainers that really care about this stuff and are intelligent and motivated. And... um you know, like, and this trip, like, reconfirmed that, you know, like, these are, these are people that share a similar value system that I do. They're people that, that love the same thing I'd love. And, and they're generally people that I just, like, create real friendships with and enjoy spending time around. Um, so I don't, I don't know why you would get into this, get really good at it for the purpose of trying to remove yourselves remove yourself from from interacting with with those people or or trying to make yourself appear better than anybody else um but you know it's just i'll tell you it's just it was unlike anything i've ever done before um and tell me what's the what's the food like i'd say it's unreal with you know with ben being the head of it like yeah you know he um we hired a chef for this one because there would have just been way too many people to like for ben to cook for i think ben would have wanted to like kill himself if he had to cook for all of us and, um, yeah, the food was unbelievable. Like it's, again, it's like locally sourced food. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, for like, I'm, I eat like a child. 
So, you know, like there, there were times where like we'd go out on, on trips, go to the beach or something. I'd stop at the grocery store on the way back and pick up like a, a bucket of ice cream or something. Um, but it was, you know, the appropriate amount of like vegetables and organic food and mm-hmm. carbohydrates and protein. Like if, if I actually stuck to the diet, my body composition probably would have drastically improved over the course of the eight days. But, um, you know, it's like, I'm, okay. I'm pretty, I'm pretty bad about, um, you know, like, uh, <laughs> just straying from those kinds of things. And can Mary tell me this, uh, what, when, when are you going to be out there again next? I mean, that is a cost. It's, it's on my fucking to-do list, man. It's, uh, it's, de- it's definitely something I want to fucking do, but I, I'd, I'd love to do it when you're there now. Yeah. I mean, I definitely the, um, you know, I, I think uh, I'm going to plan on uh, presenting at the next next one of these. I think I think they're generally going to be in around June time because um, you know it's especially for like NBA uh, NBA coaches because that's when they'd have an opportunity to actually have a little bit of time off. I mean, those guys get work to the bone, and it's it's tough. Like they even have to be like available to look at players that are going to be drafted. Yeah. You know, the the NBA just is so relentless with summer league and playoffs. And there's, a, there's, a friend, there's a friend of mine, actually, uh, his name's David Howitt, and he's the head strength conditioning coach for Connacht Rugby here in Ireland. But before that, he was at the Oklahoma Thunder for three years, and he was just telling me, like, it's, he's just like, like, and like, like Connacht Rugby compared to Oklahoma Thunder in terms of workload. No, it's not going wrong. Connacht Rugby said a lot, lot of fucking work. It's, they're one of the... You know they're they're a, they're a high-end professional rugby team in, in Europe here, but uh, he was just saying like the workload, like that's the reason he left and, and went back to like rugby because he's just like his work-life balance is just like he was going to be getting like the most like otherwise, yeah. Otherwise he was just like oh, well, was just like he loved it, but he's just like it was just twenty-four-seven non-stop, and like he's like again don't get me wrong, he's like the job the work he or the job he has now accounting is like listen it's still a lot of work and there's there's pressure and there's stressful compared to what he was at the Oklahoma Thunder League. Madness, he was telling me. Like, and sure, I know from Zach Cobbles too. Like, even with the D League, he was like, "That's a lot of work." Yeah, it's professional basketballs. It. I. I don't know if it's because you can only have five guys on the court at once, so every guy's in some ways more valuable, uh, or the the schedule of it, or whatever. But it's it's crazy. So, like, for the most part, like, you know, it's it's kind of like to allow some of those guys to be able to come. You, you got to put it somewhere in that early June time, yeah. uh, you know, first, second week of June. Uh, but, it, you know, I think that's, that's generally when it's going to be. Hopefully he'll be able to open it up a couple times a year for the, for the strength and conditioning retreats, yeah. you know, because he's kind of got like the functional medicine ones, <clears throat> which will be like mixed populations. But for the strength and conditioning ones, it's partly like, you know, his wife uh, does yoga retreats down there. Uh, so they sort of split time about who's doing a retreat at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yoga retreats make a lot more money as compared to like strength and conditioning or nutrition retreats. Like, God, I don't, yeah, I don't know what these yoga people's lifestyles are like, but they seem to be able to take like a month off. You know what I mean? It's like, <clears throat> you can't get coaches to be able to even find a week where they can take off. But you're like even even like think about the fucking the personality types that go with that. You know, just if we're being for sure, just yeah. if we're being very general here. Like this is why, like this is one of the big conversations I've been having over the last year about professional transition coaches. Like so, like you, like this is just me personally, my own personal experience. Like nearly every person I know who's in high end professional sports as a performance coach 
are miserable <laughs> because <laughs> because they're, they're just under so much stress uh, mentally uh, mentally emotionally physically they're a disaster they don't have enough time to themselves what, what invariably happens is they get into it right and they end up playing the game of one one ultimate with every other person in the fucking organization and that's like oh i was here at 4 a.m i didn't leave till 8 a.m i'm a warrior well you were here at 6 a.m and left at 6 therefore i'm better because i've been here four hours longer and then you get the other guy coming and goes oh you you were here from four to eight. Oh, yeah, she slept in the office. You know, like they're not yeah. saying they're not saying this out like you know out loud, but they're saying it in their minds, like you know what I mean. And then like, mm-hmm. but like, but like, if you say if you were trying to say, all right, so uh, you're here. Uh, what are you doing from productivity standpoint? Fuck all. You're just staying here to be here. What's your family life like? So it's, oh, sorry, you're getting divorced again. When's the last time you saw your kids? Like twelve years ago. You know, so they just that and like they, they 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 end up hating something that they loved, which was coaching in the first place. You know. And yeah, it just it just becomes it's like why are you doing like I, I the, the question I've been asking everyone is are you happy because you see all these like guys like they're in these big organizations or lads flying around the world like these conferences and they're putting up these Twitter feeds and like the external person looks at that and goes oh man I need to contact this person to talk more I'd love to do what they do or I'd love to work in that organization and then you talk to them and like they're miserable like they're tired yeah. they're tired because they don't sleep their blood sugar's all over the place. Because they didn't have breakfast morning, they, they were up at five a.m. Because they had to go and do some rehab. Some fella who, who like is a pro athlete who, who fucking doesn't even appreciate them, and like has doesn't even see the, the relevance of the point of doing any physical preparation for a sport. So they didn't have time to have breakfast morning, they have coffee, and then they forgot to eat, and then they had to go meet this manager, that manager, and it's just like this is the, the pattern I'm seeing. And then fucking they end up being 60, 70 years of age, fucking just regretting life in terms of oh, I should spend more time with my family or just that theater you know so that now that's not everyone like there could be someone who's working a pro sport right now and they're going I fucking love my job but what I'd say is either they're an outlier or else they're only in the job a year or two it's like tell me 10 years time how you feel yeah no it's it, the travel is maddening too you know what I mean like you're yeah. trying to sleep sleep on planes or buses or you know, different hotel every night. And yeah, yeah. Sorry, new, no, I, I, I drive time zone. I drive but it's, there. No, I think it's like, like I, I know that Ben has wanted to put something like this together for people with that lifestyle. You know, a lot of his clients are, are successful coaches and he's seeing that same pattern. And it's like, you, these guys need a fucking break. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they need to have like uh, a positive social experience every now and then. And they need to be completely removed from the environment that they've been in. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of the, the idea is, um, you know, a lot of these guys aren't going to ever agree to something unless there's built-in structure. Like, hey, guys, this is a continuing education opportunity and something for you to train for. But look, like, probably the most important thing for most of these guys is, like, listen, man, we're going to just hang out. Like, yeah. we're going to hang yeah. out. We're going to sit in this, like, lounge, this outdoor lounge, and it's raining out right now and we don't have shit to do and there's no service and we're going to play like we're going to throw the the bags for cornhole for like two hours and just shoot the shit and and not do anything and 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 listen like you can feel your blood pressure drop and like the only noise that you've got right now is like birds and bugs and uh it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible like yeah. you know the the dumbest things can be the best bonding opportunities like rua and i had such a great bonding opportunity because there was one night where like i think i think marcos left the light on in our room and um and then when we opened the sliding doors to go in like this horde of of 
insects came in the room with us. <laughs> and uh, like there were literally like hundreds of weird little Costa Rican jungle bugs. And we probably spent like an hour murdering these bugs around the room with our flip-flops on the wall. And um, we just had such a good time doing that. Like, you know, th those are those stupid things that just don't, they don't sound like anything important in life. But like, I will never forget that experience. And like, we'll probably have, uh, you know, a friendship that, that transcends decades. And that will always be like this experience we can look back to. But it, it doesn't, it's not sexy. It doesn't sound like the biggest thing that you would think about from a trip like that. It's not, it's not something that goes on the poster or something like that. But it's like, that was part of what that trip was all about. Yeah, you know, exactly. like. And exactly. And, and, and that's exactly what those fucking professional coaches need. But uh, you, you, you just have to make in millions of Buddhist uh, uh, cry there with killing all those insects. <laughs> But I was going to say to you too, you're, you're, you're dead on though, like, that they are, that they are the little things in life that you bond over and remember. It, it reminds me of that scene in Good Will Hunting where he's telling, he's, uh, where Robin Williams' character is telling Matt Damon's character about like the, the little like, uh, the little like, in, in, uh, the little like moments he had with his wife. Like and he talks about the time where she used to fart in bed and used to wake her up and then he'd have to lie to her and say, oh, it's a dog that farted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like that's, those are like real human things that like bring us together yeah exactly come here anyway and, listen i my, my time's living here and there's a few more questions for you so uh, sure well i, I also want to see these buddhists try to sleep with 400 mosquitoes in their room uh, listen, <laughs> listen, listen I, i'm only joking come here I, I i'd say i'd say there's many buddhists who would have killed the fucking insects it's funny you say i think i've told the story to you before but there was this i love this story there was this buddhist i lived with he was a south korean buddhist I walk into the kitchen one day, Pat, and there he is tucking into a steak. And I said to him, Taho, his name's Taho. I said, Taho, I thought you were a Buddhist. And in his broken English, I love the story, in his broken English, he goes, you uh, Catholic. And I was like, I'm not a Catholic, but I know what you're trying to, to get at. I'm, you know, I'm Irish and, and that our main religion is Catholicism. So I said, go on, keep going with your story. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, well, your Bible, it say no sex before marriage. And I said, yeah, what about it? He goes, guideline." guideline uh, <laughs> and then, and then, so that so that he looks at it he looks at the steak and he goes buddhism vegan guideline guideline <laughs> and he got and he got, gets back in took it into a steak and i'm just there and absolute ribbons that i thought was so good like for, for someone whose english was so like prim, like uh primitive but yet be able to pull off such a good joke i was like that is just mastery right there like the analogy he used it was just brilliant that, yeah, man, that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> All right, so uh, last few things to wrap up on. What, what, what are you reading right now? I actually uh, started reading the book Endure. I don't know if you've heard oh, about that Alex, one. Alex Hutchison, yeah. Yeah, correct. Uh, you know, it's, it's really cool. It, it goes back through sort of the history of exercise science as it pertains to studying uh, endurance exercise. And, um, you know, I'm uh, maybe halfway through something like that. It's really, really good book. He was, uh, the, he was on the Strength Coach podcast, Anthony Renner brought him on, because Anthony read his book and he, he wanted to get him on and he did a good interview with him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe it. Like, it's, it's very well written. It's, it's kind of like that nice blend of, like, uh, uh, you know, explaining the science in a way that's, that's definitely understandable for everybody and also mixing in kind of, like, the personal stories behind it. Like, you know, I just think it's fascinating when you can get some insight into, like, hey, who – who was A.V. Hill? Like, what kind of person was this this guy? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, like, the, the actual 
uh, place that he worked when he when he kind of figured out VO2 max and you know like I, I love it because like AV Hill is a lot like some of these other other real pioneer exercise scientists where they were they were really like a bit of a madman and um, did a lot of that testing on themselves and um, you know like to actually reach a VO2 max is is really hard to do like most tests that you run really just hit a VO2 plateau. Uh, but like a VO two max is like being able to maintain, um, like you hit a heart rate and then you go up in intensity for another steady state block of like three minutes or whatever it's going to be. And your heart rate doesn't increase, you know, like, like that heart, try to do that. Try to maintain max heart rate for three minutes, then go to an intensity above your max heart rate where your you obviously your max heart rate won't, won't increase. But try to hold that for another three minutes, like six six minutes at at a, at a level three half of that being beyond your actual uh, aerobic capacity. Like that's that's the only way that you can actually hit a VO two max is is by demonstrating that you went to an intensity above your aerobic capability. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a VO two plateau. Yeah, VO two max tests are fucking horrendous it's funny you said it now because I, oh, I did quite a bit there the last few weeks on VO2 max testing because it was part of my masters and there was an interesting thing like this goes back to the brain again the perception of yeah, yeah. There, that's there, that's this book too I don't know if you've read this but that's sort of one of the big premises I haven't read it yet but one thing they're they're telling us that are on site was that there's this study done where you know so you have your usual VO2 max test so if it's on the bike it's a ramp test if it's on the treadmill it's a step test so like you know so you'll you'll ramp up either fucking um, the, the power output on a bike test or you'll ramp up the speed on the, or step up the speed on a treadmill. You know, every, between every three and five minutes, it depends on the protocol. Um, so it's like four minutes, so we'll give it the average mean. But uh, they were saying that they did this study where they let one group self-select when they wanted to go faster versus the more faster one where it was pre-planned, like, okay, four minutes to work on this. And the group that had control of it did like went further to exhaustion and they're just like why was that like what, what was it to do with perception or was the fact that they had more autonomy or control or you know it's just like all those questions come back to like fatigue and the brain and what the fuck's going on we just don't know the brain's just fucking a mystery yeah and that you know those are those are some of the uh topics that it gets into in this book like <clears throat> some of the uh the individual stories it mentions are are some of the attempts to go to the the you know to cross antarctica or to reach the south pole mm -hmm. <clears throat> the different the different early english groups that were trying to do that and um you know some one group had to the only way they were going to do it they had to try to reach the south pole and then they would have had to have gone back to the coast of antarctica yeah. versus another group that was going to be picked up by a helicopter at the south pole if they got there and um you know the group that could be picked up by the helicopter obviously went further because they knew that there was, you know, this possibility. The other group had to had to subconsciously factor in that the fact that they had to go all the way back too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so they they couldn't actually push as far, um, you know. Versus, the, I think the other group had more health problems and things associated with with that trip because they actually pushed, you know, by by knowing they could be helicoptered out, by knowing that there was an escape, they were able to go further to the the far reaches of their physiological limits. Uh, another section was talking about like deep sea uh, free diving and um, and that really there's this like it's really fascinating that like some of this free diving culture stuff but there's a there is a another thing that you can do 
where you basically just lie face down at the surface of a pool and you just see who can hold their breath the longest. Oh, sake. But you can go further to your physiological limits because at any point in time, somebody can just roll you over and pull yeah, you out of there. Yeah. Uh, but that's where people really start to have like more health consequences than almost anything. You know, they're pushing themselves to the point where they have like brain, brain aneurysms and all, all kinds of other things. Okay. But, uh, Matt, yeah, Matt, sounds, that's, good. Sounds, good. sounds like a good book. So you're halfway it, through that. Yeah. Oh, yep. So, so really good stuff. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of taking a break, like in, in a lot of ways, I just felt sort of, uh, like beat down from, from nonstop kind of continuing education, yeah, presenting, you need, you, you need to writing. That, yeah, you need to let that digest. So you do. It's funny because I think what happens is I, I remember having this conversation with, uh, with a good friend of mine. And, um, like the way I sort of meditated on this was that people don't seem to appreciate that just like literally thinking is, is enough sometimes. You know, I was in like just going for walks and rethinking and trying to consolidate information in your mind because most people say oh i didn't get a chance to read today Do you know and it's like oh I, I, today was a waste it's just like did you even like just like talk to a colleague did you even just like go and go for a walk and just think about your and like formulate your thoughts like that that is that's learning as well like that's still like education you know so you can just mm-hmm. go and have deep thoughts i think a lot of people are caught in the thing like if they didn't read their 20 page or they didn't read for an hour it's like, it's okay. It's not going to be the world. I, I see education like training that you have accumulation phases, intensification phases, and then you've got realization phases. Then you go to your next topic and you accumulate again, and you intensify, and then you peak again. And it's just, it's, you know, cross and body sort of thing. But listen, yeah. I, have to, I have to go here. Um, so that was savage as always. Always a fucking pleasure speaking to you. Um, again, we'll try and get, get these rock and roll uh, um, more regularly again when, with your schedules just being so fucking... Uh, jam-packed but uh just wrapping up there really really quickly what where are you going to be next like what's your speaking range i literally just have like two minutes so let's keep this snapping sure so next up for me is going to be presenting rethinking the big patterns in san francisco on august the weekend of august 25th Sweet. and uh from there i'm looking to put another one together in the philadelphia area at warhorse barbell in october and then it uh, looks like I'm going to be doing one in L.A. in that area in December. So I've got a few of those lined up, and that's, that's what's on the docket coming up. We have, to, uh, we have to get you over to fucking Ireland. Oh, yeah, man. Please do. I would love that. All right. But, uh, listen, I'll, I'll stick that in the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'll link up the website and the dates for that as well. So, uh, listen, I'll wrap up here and say goodbye to offline. So for everyone listening, as always, thanks, guys. Uh, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank you.